Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537, Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Leave a review on Podchaser. Um, you can leave a review for the episode you're listening to or the show as a whole. Um, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you find out how, leave a review on Stitcher. Uh, leave a review on Good Pods. Um... I might start a group over there. It's just that I don't, I'm not on my iPad or on my phone enough uh, to go to that app and use it like that. And I'm not saying it like I'm not on my phone or on my iPad. It's just that when I'm on my phone or my iPad, I don't want to fucking go to that app. I, I, I just don't. It's because when I'm on my phone or on my iPad, I'm usually sitting on the toilet playing a video game. That's what I want to do on my phone. Or I'm reading a book. Or I'm sitting on the toilet playing a video game. I spend a lot of time sitting on the toilet playing video games. And it has nothing to do with using the bathroom. It has to do with freedom. When I use the bathroom, I don't even use the bathroom. I just want to occupy a room that I can lock the goddamn door to. And nobody's going to wonder why I'm in a locked room. I will sit in my bathroom because it has, I made sure <laughs> when they were installing the AC to our house, I made sure that there was a vent that was put into our bathroom just so I would never get hot. I can sit in my bathroom and luxuriate in it. And it's nothing but the, the toilet. It's not like it takes up the rest of the bathroom. It's not like I'm blocking people off from being able to come in and wash their hands or anything like that. It's just the toilet with a fucking AC unit and my iPad and a phone. And I should have installed a plug just in case I need to charge some shit up. But bottom line is I hide the fuck out in my bathroom because I can and I read or I play a video game. But I'm not usually on there discussing topics about my show with people on Good Pods. But if I got into it, you know, I'm, I'm pretty uh, ADHD um, aware. I'm aware of, you know, what I will do if I start doing that. And what I will do is hyperfixate on it uh, to the point where everything else just kind of fades away for a while. And then I'll just stop. 
So I'll get the group all hot and buttery and ready to go and y'all be excited because I'm in there and I'm fucking with you and I'm doing the best that I can, which is fucking excellent. And then I'll just stop. And I don't want to do that to y'all. So I just won't do it. I'll just keep playing video games on my phone in the bathroom. Don't judge me. Judge yourself. Chapter 7. I've never murked anyone who didn't deserve it. Me and more. I don't know. You killed a lot of people for money. And when you kill a lot of people for money, I doubt that they were all pedophiles. I'm not saying murderers don't deserve to get murdered. I'm not saying that, but I, I am. I am. There's there's like levels to it. I don't think arsonists deserve to get murdered. Unless they murder somebody via arson. I don't think they deserve to get murdered for burning down a building. I mean, unless it was my house, in which case, shit, all bets are off. But other than that, and I don't think that like um, robbers deserve to get murdered. So that really limits your numbers of who you're killing out there. Murderers, yeah, live by the gun, die by the gun, whatever, yeah. But, and pedophiles, okay, I can see that one too. You could definitely make an argument and I'm not going to fight. I'm not even going to try. I'm just going to nod my head and be like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm right there with you. Yep, why are we still talking about this? I'm hungry. That's usually how I end up. My wife, my beloved wife, I was having a conversation with my wife. I thought I was having a conversation with my wife. That's important. Because this motherfucker, while I'm in mid-sentence and I am pouring my heart out to her about something. I don't know what the fuck it was. It was something. She looks at me with her just intoxicatingly beautiful brown eyes. I have a thing for glasses. It's a it's a fetish. It is. Don't kink shame me. I love glasses. And my wife, I love... <laughs> I love glasses and asses, and my wife has them in abundance because she can't see worth a shit, and her ass is just mwah, and so I don't know why I just admitted that to y'all. I feel open right now. I feel close to you. Anyway, so she's I'm, I'm talking to her, and I, I might be pouring my heart out. I'm, I might be talking about how I'm about to go to the bathroom and hide out from her for a while. I don't remember. doesn't matter. Anyways, I'm in mid-sentence, and my wife looks at me. With her just, those eyes, those eyes, god damn. But she looks at me with those eyes and she says, and I quote, my cereal is getting soggy. Now, that would be interesting if her cereal was in like the kitchen and I was keeping her from getting to her cereal because we were in the bedroom talking. That would be interesting. And I'd be like, all right, I feel that. And I get up and I follow her and I keep talking because I'm in a groove. I'm in a zone. I'm in a zone. It would also be like that if her cereal was actually something that could get soggy. What you need to know about this part and why I looked at her and was just hurt. I was hurt by the statement was because she was holding her bowl of cereal in her hand with a spoon in it that was frequently going into her mouth while I was talking to her and she wasn't talking back. She was just listening and eating. 
And when she got tired of me talking to her, she said, my cereal is getting soggy. And she just turned on her heel and walked out the room. I love that woman. She's the bestest. But yeah, there's a lot of people who you murder who don't deserve it. I'm certain of it. You didn't murder Fabian when you were supposed to. How about that, sis? Mia Moore jumped out of her sleep, panting and gasping for air. She covered her racing heart with her hand and closed her eyes until her pulse slowed. The nightmares of her past stopped her from moving forward. Every night, she dreamt of how she had escaped Mecca's clutches, but it seemed as though he still had her mind imprisoned in fear. She arose from the bed and wrapped her body in the sheets as she left the room in search of Carter. You mean Carter hasn't told her? You know I murdered my brother for you, right? I did that. And also, I am still not pleased about the fact that everything that happened at the end of the third book didn't fucking matter. Because they're not in Brazil. And where the fuck is murder? You're not in Brazil. Murder was literally sitting next to Lena on a goddamn flight. About to touch down and go find Carter. And now we're here. And I'm guessing everybody's in Miami again. Because Carter went to a meeting at for Estes where they saw Money who was in Florida. He's in Miami. So they're all in Miami. Murder is nowhere to be seen. Lena doesn't talk about the dude that she was sitting next to on the plane who said his name was Murder. Nobody's told uh, me and more that Mecca's dead. Just lift her from those fears. If nothing else, you can alleviate her from those fears. Like, yo, the nigga that you scared of, I murdered him. I did it because I thought he killed you. Okay? I killed my brother for you. Okay? Mia Moore was being given a second chance at life. All she had to do was let go of the past, but it was easier said than done. The sound of a crackling fire drew her towards Carter's study. She stepped inside and was immediately taken back by the beautiful room. His home was so massive that she hadn't explored it all yet. In fact, their reunion had been contained to the bedroom. They couldn't get enough of one another, and this was the first time she had taken notice of her new surroundings. The walls consisted of bookshelves that went from the floor to the top of the 25-foot ceilings. The lighting was low, and the mahogany furniture was antique. A king's throne sat behind his desk, and it was fitting, because Carter truly was royalty. A leather sofa sat all to the right, directly in front of the glowing fire that Carter stared right into. It's late. What are you doing up? he asked. His back was towards her, and he never looked her way. But he felt her presence as soon as she entered the room. I can't sleep, Mia Moore replied as she shifted uncomfortably. She didn't know if she should sit or stand, stay or leave. Things between her and Carter were still quite tense. They were getting reacquainted all over again, and this time she held no secrets. He knew all of her, and she was sure that there were parts of her that he didn't approve of. Join the club, Ma, Carter stated. I haven't gotten a wink since you came back. It's hard to rest around someone like you. Carter never fully let his guard down around Mia Moore. The trust in their relationship was fragile and in need of repair. 
He knew the rebuilding their foundation would take time. You act like she cheated on you, dog. You act as if she did something just unconscionable to you. She didn't do anything. Let's be real. She didn't kill Mecca. Mecca poisoned the glass that she gave to his mom, so that was just foresight, because if she had died from the poison, then you would have wanted to kill Mecca anyway. So she didn't kill Taryn. The fuck else is there? Why are you mad, bro? Like, seriously, why are you mad? Talk to me. Let's unburden. Fucker. His words knocked the wind out of her. She realized that he thought the worst of her. I would never hurt you, Carter. I've never murked anyone that didn't deserve it. I'm not a monster. And the niggas I've come at always saw it coming, she said, slightly offended. Maybe I shouldn't have come here, she said, speaking more to herself than to him. They never saw it coming because y'all literally use the same tactic every single time. Suck a nigga's dick. Let him eat your pussy. Get him drunk off lust. Your girls run in while they're getting fucked or while they're about to get fucked. You kill them. Dress like strippers. Get in a dude's house. Threaten them with shotguns. Kill him. Am I missing anything? I mean, if y'all did anything past that as the murder mamas, they don't speak on it. So we don't know what you've done where they saw where they saw you coming. But all the ones that we've seen from you and each of your associates has been. I was sitting in the front seat of my man's ride and somehow he got hit in the drive by and I don't know what happened. That was a uh, Robin. So, yeah, your whole statement is false. She shook her head, feeling foolish for ever believing that he could accept her past. Me and more, Carter's voice echoed against the walls and halted her steps. Come over here, ma. I'm sorry, I'm going to stop saying it like that. Maybe. Her feet moved obediently. This man was the only person on earth who could make her do anything. It was as if he had her under a spell. She wanted to follow his lead. Wherever he may take her, she wanted to be the woman behind him. That's, look, so, let's talk about subservience and relationships and how it's a fucking fallacy that really needs to be deaded. I don't want my wife to walk behind me. One, because she always, we, we. She will literally try and kick one of my feet into the other to trip me if I if I was like, walk behind me. Because I know I'd do it to her. I did it to my son a couple days ago. It was fucking epic. His foot hooked it. Two, because if she's walking behind me, we can't enjoy our experiences together. If she's walking behind me, I'm either shielding her from the blessings or I'm blocking her from seeing the fullness of the blessings. Because they're hitting me first. And then she gets whatever's left from splashback. Your significant other should never walk behind you. They should walk beside you. 
Because if they're walking beside you, then you can encourage each other to move on and to go on and to push forward. But if they're walking behind you and you face trouble, then you have to turn around behind you to ask for help, which means you're taking your eyes off the road to success. You are taking your eyes off that path. And then both of you are in danger. There's no way that somebody walking behind you is the way that a relationship should be. That is antiquated. That is a poor way to be. You should empower your significant other to walk beside you. Because when you walk beside somebody, that is a partnership. You are not always looking for... Okay, so I can walk beside my wife and still be a leader when she needs me to say something that she needs to hear. And there's times that I look to her for leadership. And do you know why? It's quite simply because we are both brilliant motherfuckers and we're great in separate aspects of life. And so we hold on to one another. And we expect for one another to be leaders, but we don't expect somebody to walk in front of me. Take my hand and guide me. Nah. She would obey any rule just to keep him. A born leader, Mia Moore had always been hard to tame, but with Carter, she found herself wanting to submit. She needed him to have faith in her, faith that she could change. She walked over to the couch that he sat on and kneeled in front of him as she raised her eyes to match his intense gaze. Carter cupped her face in his hands. I apologize, Ma. I want you here. There's just a lot going on right now. My brother Monroe is back, Carter said. Mia Moore's eyes widened in shock. She had seen Monroe's body lying cold and stiff in a casket years ago. From the dead, she gasped. Carter smirked and let out a chuckle. Seems that way, yes. It's a long story, but now that he's returned, things will be complicated. I have a lot on my mind, but I don't mean to take it out on you. And what about us? Your family will never accept me. They won't forgive me for the things I've done, me and Moore said. The only person's acceptance that you need to worry about is mine. No one else matters. No harm will come your way. No old scores will be settled. You get a pass because of me. Niggas ain't got to like it, but they will respect it. For now, no one even needs to know that you're here. I have to think of a way to introduce you back into their lives without causing more conflict. Until then, I need you to lay low. Be unseen. You think you can handle that? Why? The only person in your family who didn't like her was Mecca, and again, he's dead. If you told her that he's dead, then she'd be like, oh, okay. I've met your sister. I met Breeze. I know Zaire. Money. I can meet him. We'll be fine. Why are you hiding her? Mia Moore nodded her head and replied, yes. Everything about Carter was intoxicating to Mia Moore. The way that he stuck up for her warmed her heart. 
she stood to her feet and dropped the sheet that covered her naked body. The amber hue from the fireplace provided the only light in the room and outlined the silhouette of her body. His hands found her hips and he pulled her closer to him. His mouth was perfectly aligned with her womanhood and he didn't hesitate to explore it. His warm, thick tongue opened her southern lips as he licked her gently. Circling her clit while French kissing her lips, he feasted on me a more sweet honey pot. That's three different uh, euphemisms right there in one paragraph. That's impressive. Oh, she moaned as she massaged the back of his head while falling victim to his head game. Her legs weakened as Carter took her love button between his teeth. Gently, he bit down, and Mia Moore lost her mind. What are you doing to me? she asked as she began to quiver in ecstasy. Carter inserted one finger, then two, then three inside of her. Mia Moore's body was so responsive to his touch that she rode his hand, squeezing her vaginal muscle around his fingers as he tickled her insides and palmed her clit. Carter curved his fingers, hitting her G-spot. See, told you so. Wait, ooh, no, wait, Carter, she whispered. The pressure was building inside of her, and she felt as if she would pee on herself. It felt so good that she didn't want to stop it. Her pussy lips were so swollen that it looked as if he had beat it up, and her clit throbbed for attention, just real quick. Always hated the phrase, beat your pussy up. Love the song, though. That was me and my wife's song for a while. I'm going to beat the pussy up, 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 up. They played it on the radio. They knew what they were saying. Put your mouth on me, baby, she whispered. Carter's fingers worked her over as he simultaneously kissed her clit. And that was all she wrote. Mia Moore screamed as her love came down. Warmth came over her as her head fell back in sheer bliss. Carter licked her gently as he looked up at her with sincere eyes. He was hypnotizing her with his slow rhythm, and she felt obliged to return the favor. She pushed his forehead back, depriving herself of his vicious head game, and he sat back on the leather couch. At lightning speed, she had his manhood in her hands, stroking his length and tracing the veins that throbbed in his shaft. Carter's dick was perfectly thick and long, but most importantly, he knew how to use it. He pulled her down onto his lap and filled her walls. Mia Moore worked her hips and relaxed her muscles, allowing him total access to her body. His body was so tense, and she rode him in relaxation. She felt the stress leaving him with every move she put on him. His fingers dug into her hips as he lifted, then lowered her onto his girth. Their rhythm was slow, sensual, and he pulled her taut nipples into his mouth. Bolts of electric pleasure shot up her spine, and Mia Moore picked up her pace, grinding into him with passion. He palmed her, wait for it. Matter of fact, no, you could say it with me like Dora the Explorer for adults, voluptuous behind. Spreading her cheeks in an effort to go deeper, he flipped her over, wanting to take control as he rocked into her. Carter was knocking the bottom out of her pussy pushing her to the threshold between pleasure and pain. He slow-stroked her, exploring parts of her body that she didn't even know existed. What part of your body don't you know exists? Where? 
What part? What part don't you know exists until somebody fucks you? Like, the hyperbole of sex is wild to me. Like, really. Like, the shit women be saying because they think guys want to hear it is just insane. Real talk. Ooh, you hit the bottom of my pussy hole. Ooh, you're killing me. Ooh, beat this pussy up. I'm going to come no matter what. My dick demands that I come. If if I can if I can come just by touching myself with my hand in a certain way with lotion. I can definitely come from fucking you. You don't have to talk. I love that you do cuz I love like words and voices and my wife's voice is just like water in my ears, but you don't have to say shit. It's just the being close to you and being with you and really being inside of you at that moment. Fuck it. If you have kids, you have fucked quietly. You have fucked on mute before. If you have kids or if you've been at a party, you have fucked on mute before. There's a level of sex where it just seems performative you know what i'm saying like i have literally been with people where i have stopped and just looked at them like you okay because they're like "Ah, ah, 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 ah." are you all right you good you i know i'm stroking but are you you good you need some water cut that shit out Her nails staked her claim as she clawed at his back. She opened her eyes as she took in all of him. Every muscle in his toned physique flexed as he handled her body. His brown complexion glistened in sweat as his face contorted in pleasure. Carter Jones is a work of art. The man was a masterpiece. He kissed her lips, and the feeling of his tongue dancing in her mouth, the taste of her sweet mouth took him over the edge. Her sweet mouth. Ooh, you got a sweet mouth. His lovemaking quickened, and he went deeper and deeper and deeper. Oh, shit, ma! He bellowed, his voice a masculine grunt. Come inside me, Carter, she whispered as tears came to her eyes. He stopped briefly, panting as he looked into her eyes. She nodded her head. Put a baby in me, Carter, she confirmed. Carter placed his forehead against hers and looked her in the eyes as he pumped inside of her until he spilled his seed inside of her womb. I love you, Ma, Carter said. I don't want to, but I do. A lesser man would never admit that to you, but I don't want there to be any indiscretion between us. Our home has to be strong. I have too much to lose to allow anarchy into my world. I will love you until our end, Carter, Mia Moore replied before falling asleep in his arms. I nutted in you. So you gonna have a baby because you said, I want you to I, put a baby in me, Carter. And when they say that in books, you're gonna get pregnant. It's just the way it works out. Put a baby in me, Carter. And so he looked her in her eyes as he gave her a baby and then was like, I don't really like you like that. I, I mean, I love you, but I don't want to. I really don't want to love you. You ain't done shit to me, but I don't really want to love you. Like, 
Can we talk about this? I mean, I know I just came in you. Because you asked me to. But I know I just came in you. And you're going to get pregnant. And I know I just came in you. And where the fuck are your scars? I still can't get past it. I'm sorry. She really thought by sending those hands. And are we going to talk about that part? She thought that by sending those hands to Robin and Aries, this shit was just going to be sweet. <sighs> so that whole chapter was fucking... Because, you know, it's a Mia Moore chapter. Chapter 8. We just trying to get money and stay off the radar. Young Carter. No matter what, I'm never not going to say it like that. So y'all can go fuck yourselves. And leave me a review. Money definitely was not going to waste any time. He wanted to get acclimated to the new regime quickly. Monroe longed to take over the streets of Miami once again. Again. Or is it for the first time? Because again. The nigga was the front man for the company. He wanted to take back the throne and then retire at the top like his father was supposed to do. Also, to cope with his losses, he would have to stay busy. He wanted to get into the swing of things and build the empire that had fallen during his extended slumber. Therefore, Carter set up a meeting with the head soldier of their crew, along with Zaire, to meet and reintroduce Monroe to the streets and the New Look Cartel. The rendezvous was at an empty warehouse that Zaire had been leasing. It was where they kept the coke and guns hidden. The steel doors and concrete floors gave the place a cold feel. Steel gates separated portions of the facility, and the only sound was a loud buzzing from the light. A single card table sat square in the middle of the floor, with a single beam of light shining directly down on it. Ooh, gangsta! The mechanical door rose and in came Carter's black Range Rover, followed by a black tenant SUV driven by Zaire. Zaire had his soldiers with him, and they were about six deep. All of them were under 21, but all of them were also live wires that would do anything at Zaire's command. They were all excited and also nervous about meeting the notorious Monroe Money Diamond. They, He's notorious? They all grew up admiring him, and when he died, it only made his legacy grow. While Mecca had the streets in fear when he was alive, Monroe had the love. He had swagger, a gentle kindness, and the muscle to make for a great gangster. But those days were gone, and they would soon find out that Monroe wasn't the same as he once was. Everyone got out of their cars and gathered around the table, waiting for money to arrive. Zaire and Carter slapped hands, and Carter nodded at the young soldiers as they formed a circle. Where's your man? Zaire asked as he checked his watch, referring to money. I told him ten. He should be pulling up any minute now, Carter said as he glanced at his wrist and checked his watch. Well, he late, Zaire said, not really liking the idea of adding someone to their crew. However, out of respect for young Carter... He would not raise any sand. Why are they still calling him Young Carter? He's the only Carter left. Nigga, you knew Carter before he moved to Miami, so you should be calling him Carter. He ain't younger than you? Cut that shit out. I've been here. I'm never late, homeboy. Money said as he stepped out of the shadow, startling all of them. Why the fuck? Do you want to get shot? Do you? You just hiding in the closet? Like, 
Hee hee, they're never going to find me here. Oops, pal, surprise, and jump out and get shot. Kind of power play you trying to pull? They all reached for their guns and froze when they realized it was money. He walked over to the table and joined the men. He and Carter embraced, and Monroe looked around the table and was disgusted. Back in his day, young niggas couldn't even be in his presence. They hadn't lived enough or experienced enough in life to be at a table with a boss in his eyes, so he immediately was turned off by the situation. Hold up. Wait. So, when Big Carter died, they were 21. Money and Mecca were 21. Which meant they had to take over the streets or whatever they were doing at the age of 21. Money probably got shot around the age of 23. Because apparently five years have passed. So, I would put them at about 26 now. But you started when you were 21, you died when you were 23. So for you to have an arrogance like this over young niggas when you died when you were a young nigga is just like, shut the fuck up. His body language told it all as he mugged each of the youngsters as Carter began to talk. I want to introduce you to the crew. This is Bo, Fly Boogie, and Damon. And of course you know Zaire. This is who holds everything down, Carter stated. Fly Boogie, a skinny kid with a knack for fashion, was the first to speak. Yo, it's a pleasure to meet you, big homie. You're like a legend in Miami, he said as he extended his open hand to greet money. Money looked down at Fly Boogie's hand with a blank expression on his face. He then looked at Carter in disbelief and chuckled. Let's get this meeting started, Money said as he totally ignored Fly Boogie as if he wasn't even standing there. Zaire looked at Carter and shook his head discreetly. Zaire didn't like the fact that Money dismissed his man, but he opted to stay quiet. Okay, this is how it is. We have a sweet connect in Brazil on the coke. Didn't they all say that they were getting out of the game because the, the Mexican cartel was after them too? Like, where's the Mexican cartel? <sighs> okay, this is how it is. We have a sweet connect in Brazil on the coke. He goes by the name of Buttons. We get it catered to us for an extra 20%. He brings it over to the port of Miami, and we get it fresh off the boat. We run through about 100 joints a month, Carter said as he began to slowly walk around the table as he explained the workings of their business. I take care of the distribution, and once it gets off the boat, I take it straight to the streets. We have about 20 trap houses around the city, and we work out of them. We have friends down at the police department to keep us in the know on any investigation to random raids. It's pretty simple, Zaire explained as he rubbed his hands together while helping Carter explain. That's right. It is very simple. I was thinking you could play the back and let Zaire handle the day-to-day, since we got a smooth operation going on. Maybe try to look for some sources to clean up the money so we could transition, feel me? Carter said, now looking directly at money. Play the back? Monroe repeated as he looked at Carter as if he was crazy. He didn't like the sound of Carter's plan. He was ready to jump head first into the game and took over all that was lost. The new cartel couldn't hold a candle to what Monroe had left behind. You only have 20 houses in all of Miami? When do we downgrade to running trap houses, huh? 
My father started this thing of ours, and it wasn't meant to move 50 bricks a month. We did that in a day. Calm down, homie. We, Zaire said, trying to ease the tension building in the room. And who the fuck are you? Monroe asked, interrupting Zaire. He wasn't trying to talk to anyone except his brother. He was tired of beating around the bush. He was the boss and wanted to make it known. Immediately, Zaire's goons put their hands on their waist, ready to bust. At that point, they didn't care who Monroe was. He was disrespecting their boss and they were all ready to get busy. All their eyes were on Zaire. And if Zaire would have given the slightest indication for them to react, money would have been Swiss cheese. Just give me the green light, Fly Boogie whispered to Zaire without moving his lips. Money smirked at Fly Boogie's comment and slid his hand down to his waist where his gun rested. Everyone calm down, Carter demanded as Zaire and Money stared at each other tensely, each of them clenching their jaws tightly. Carter continued, Money, you've been gone a long time. I'm not trying to box you out. I just want you to ease into this. It's not how it was five years ago. Feds are on us, and with all the murders from the last war, it made us hot. We're just trying to stay low, get money, and stay off the radar. It's a new day, bruh. You sound crazy right now. Instead of having 10 cops on payroll, you should pay the chief of police. Everybody has a price. That means you only have to deal with one person instead of 10. Also, why aren't we wholesaling? Who runs trap houses? We move weight. Back in my day, little niggas like this couldn't even be in my presence. But now you bring them to the table? Monroe ranted, pointing out every flaw he saw in Carter's system. Carter, wanting to be diplomatic, kept his cool and knew that he had to take control before it got out of hand. I need everyone to leave now. Money, let's talk, he said as he stepped to the side, giving Zaire and his crew a clear path to the truck they pulled up in. No one moved until Zaire nodded his head, and then just like that, they headed to their cars. Zaire followed close behind and stopped just as he walked past Carter. You good? Zaire asked, not knowing whether he should leave Carter alone with money. Yeah, I'm good. I'll call you later, Carter confirmed and put one hand on Zaire's shoulder. Zaire shot a look at money, and they exchanged menacing stares as he walked away. Carter tapped Monroe on the chest to try and break the tension between the two of them. Let's talk. Seems like there's nothing to talk about. You have everything figured out, I see, Monroe said sarcastically and released a small smirk. Carter shook his head at Monroe's answer and put his hands together as he thought about Monroe's viewpoint. Listen, I know what it seemed like, but it's the way it's going to be. Just give it a couple weeks and fill everything out before you jump in, Carter said, trying to be as diplomatic as possible. Fill things out? I was moving weight when you were back in Michigan small-timing. Remember that, my nigga? But you know what? I'm going to play the back. You right, Monroe said, easing off his hostility. He knew at that moment that it was a line drawn in the sand, and he understood what side he stood on. He kicked himself for expressing his frustrations and knew that the old him would have never let anyone know what he was thinking. I'm a little rusty, I see, he thought as he looked at Carter, trying to read his mind. So, Monroe, 
who is younger than Carter. Keep that in mind. Monroe is younger than Carter by a couple years. Said that he was running the cartel or that he was moving weight when Carter was back in Michigan. Small timing. Were you though? Sitting in your daddy's chair in his office while he runs the business doesn't make you a vice president. Carter clenched his jaws at Monroe's remark, but didn't show any emotion. If that had been anyone else, Carter would have rocked him to sleep just off GP. Nevertheless, the calculating boss just released a small smile and put his hand on Monroe's shoulder. Listen, I meet the connect in a couple days. To show you that I'm not trying to box you out, I want to introduce you to him, Carter suggested. That's what I'm talking about. Let's get to the money, Money said calmly as he rubbed both his hands together. Carter noticed something strange about Monroe. His mannerisms weren't like he remembered. Everything about Monroe reminded Carter of Mecca. Carter chalked it up to guilt playing with his own mind, but he knew Monroe wasn't quite the same as he remembered. It was as if Mecca's soul had flown into Monroe. I was thinking the same thing, not the whole that his soul had flown into Monroe because that's fucking stupid. But I had said it at the beginning of this book, why were they opening up with Carter killing Mecca if we're talking about money? These folks is about to try and shoehorn in the twins feel each other's pain and his body and his mind. They were one and that bullshit. And I've talked to twins and that shit is not true. Carter quickly shook off the notion and began to break down the logistics to his brother and caught him up on what was going on in the streets. Plus, Mecca liked Zaire. In addition to breaking down the product and flooding the streets, they were heavy and wholesale. The cartel was getting all the money from the bottom up and he hoped that Monroe could see that they had a good thing going. However, in the back of his mind, Carter knew it could all go bad if Monroe ever found out that he killed Mecca. Only time would tell how it would unravel. But until then, the private jet landed on the airstrip in Brazil. Inside were the pilot, Carter, Monroe, and Zaire. They were landing there to meet their coat connect, Buttons, a tall, fair-skinned Brazilian who specialized in the coke business. Carter had met him a year back while being there for Breeze's wedding. As the plane doors lifted up, Monroe's heart began to rapidly beat. It was something that only a hustler could relate to. The rush and allure of getting to the money was like an adrenaline rush for a street nigga, and Monroe's burning flame for the streets had been dormant for years. It had just been relit. He was ready to put his staple in the game. He was still very young and had the world ahead of him. He looked over at Zaire, who remained quiet the entire flight, and knew that he would eventually be a problem. The Brazilian setup was beautiful. Gorgeous women with bronze skin was everywhere, colorism, and the land itself was stunning. The narrow streets and tall brick buildings had their own personality, and Monroe was amazed as he took in the sight. They all sat in the back of a jeep that Buttons had sent for them as they maneuvered through the bumpy roads on their way to Buttons' cocaine sanctum. Here it is, Carter said as they approached the massive brick warehouse. The place was surrounded by steel gates, and vicious pit bulls ran freely within them. Monroe looked at the top of the building and saw young gunmen with assault rifles and binoculars. 
None of the gunmen seemed to be a day over 18, but they all had menacing stares and an eagerness to prove to their boss that they were loyal and worthy to move up in the ranks. Buttons is a different type of nigga. Fair warning, Carter said as they approached the gate. Two armed goons were standing at the gate. When they pulled in, the goons immediately began to look inside the car with AK-47s in their hands. Once they saw the coast was clear, they waved the driver in. Just like that, they were granted access to the biggest drug distribution and manufacturing business in Brazil. Rio was mostly known for his beautiful women and sexual escapades, yet the black market there was just as lucrative and successful. Just as the sexual fantasies had attracted lusting men, the pure cocaine and cheap prices drove in the drug bosses. As the jeep made its way through the property, the men looked at the property and how well it was secured. Buttons had shooters literally everywhere on his property. Monroe instantly knew that they were dealing with a made guy. They pulled up to the single building that was in the rear of the property. They pulled up to the steel garage door and the driver blew the horn twice. Seconds later, the door rose and exposed a factory-like assembly line where the coke was being cut, measured, and packaged for distribution. Button stood at the top tier to overlook the whole operation. He stood six foot three inches and had the stature of a model. His long, curly hair was pulled back tightly into a ponytail as he slowly paced back and forth, overseeing his operation. He smoked a cigar and took his time as he inhaled deeply, letting the Cuban smoke dance on his lungs. Buttons was a kingpin of Rio and had a long history with the sell of cocaine. He had political connections and was literally untouchable inside of his country. He took a liking to Carter because of his business savvy and consistency. Carter led the pack as they walked onto the floor and in between the long tables full of coke. Everyone seemed to be focused on their particular job and not on Carter and his crew. Button stopped pacing and looked down at Carter. Carter, glad you could make it, he said with open arms and a smile. Buttons made his way down the stairs, followed closely by a young Brazilian gunman. Buttons, thanks for having us, Carter said as he walked towards Buttons and shook hands with him. Carter then turned around and looked at Zaire and Money. Of course, you remember Zaire, Carter said. Buttons nodded his head at Zaire, acknowledging him. Carter turned to Monroe and nodded towards him. This is my brother, Monroe. Monroe, how are you? I'm Buttons, he said with a heavy accent. I'm good, Monroe said as he stepped forward and extended his hand to Buttons. Button shook his hand and was impressed with Monroe's fearlessness and demeanor. While Zaire usually played the back, Monroe wanted to make his presence known. Button sensed this. The rendezvous was about an hour, and Carter discussed a bigger shipment with Buttons, and Monroe listened closely and analyzed their business relationship. For what Carter was getting them for, Monroe used to get them for half that price when he was over the cartel. When was Monroe over the cartel? When did this happen? Why does he keep talking about this? When did this happen? Am I reading the wrong goddamn book? Was there a cartel three and a half that I didn't see? When did this happen? Monroe's mind quickly began to churn, thinking about a master plan. 
He saw a lot of holes in her operation and wondered why Carter was copping from a Brazilian connect who was obviously taxing him. Little did Monroe know, Estes had retired from the drug game and didn't give his connections to young Carter. Estes didn't believe in connecting people who weren't blood. So, the connects ended when Mecca died. Monroe already began to make plans to return to see Buttons, but the next time, Monroe would come alone. He'll be coming to sell, and not to buy cocaine. You know what this is? This is literally the storyline from Blow. You know, the Johnny Depp movie? With uh, Derek Farrell and all them motherfuckers? And how the dude kept asking... Uh, Johnny Depp to meet his connect, to meet his connect, to meet his connect. And then when he finally got a chance to meet his connect because he kept whining so much, he muscled Johnny Depp out of the drug game. Same thing. As they wrapped up the meeting with handshakes, Monroe made sure he looked buttons in the eye and said, I'll see you soon. Very soon. Carter didn't realize it, but he had just introduced buttons to his competition. Hours later, they were back on the jet, and Carter looked over at Monroe, who seemed to be in deep thought, staring out of the window while resting his index finger on his temple. I just brought you to the table. I introduced you to the connect. Hopefully you understand now that I want you to play the back only temporarily, Carter said as he poured himself a glass of cognac, Louis XIII to be exact. You know, just in case you read that he poured himself a glass of cognac as he had in like the last three books and asked what kind of cognac is it Ashley and Jaquavis no doubt I understand now let's get it Monroe said but his eyes didn't match his words he was thinking about how he was about to box both of them out and take over the streets once again I'm the son of Carter Diamond Miami is mine he said as he sat back comfortably and closed his eyes with a small grin Zaire watched closely as he remained quiet he was growing to dislike Monroe more and more about a minute. Needless to say, when they returned to the States, Monroe turned right back around and headed back to Rio to see Buttons. As Monroe made his way through the airport, he called his grandfather, Estes. Papa, I need a favor, Monroe said as soon as he heard his grandfather's voice on the opposite side of the line. Anything for you, Estes said in his usual low and raspy voice. It seemed as if Monroe could hear the cigar smoke in his grandfather's lungs as he spoke. I need you to make a couple of calls on my behalf. I need my father's old connect. I need you to make that happen pronto, Monroe said as he made his way to the boarding gates. Enough said. I was wondering what was taking you so long. I'll set up a sit-down immediately, Estes said as if it was a cakewalk. Yeah, it's about that time. I'm not liking what I'm seeing. A lot has changed since I was away. I agree. I never extended the family's connections because I'm a firm believer in keeping the family's name reputable. I couldn't trust those that weren't in my blood to uphold that. You understand? Estes said, dropping game to his only male bloodline. Understood. Let's make it happen. I'll be back in town in a couple days. Price are still the same? He asked. Indeed. They never change for customers like us, Estes explained as he alluded to the coke prices that his connections offered. People like Estes had connections that never raised prices, no matter how the market was. At that level of drug dealing, 
Bosses sold for the sport, not for the money. Now that Monroe had convinced Estes to introduce him to his Miami Connect, it was the beginning of Monroe's second era. Monroe figured since Carter wanted him to play the back seat, he would just rather take over the whole vehicle. It was Monroe's turn to take back the streets. His way. He was about to make buttons and offer he couldn't refuse. Okay. I I don't I don't I don't know. I don't get it. Okay, so I'm clearly on the cartel four. I'm looking at it. Cartel four. Okay, cool. They got flashcards. No, that's for me. So that's not a thing. That's for me to take notes. I'm gonna have to keep that in mind going forward. Before you go. Nope, that's where they want me to leave a review. Y'all don't want me to do that. When did this start? When did this happen? When did Monroe ever take over the streets? Where's murder? Why are they back in the States? What happened to the Spanish car or to the Mexican cartel? Ileana was still there until I guess Zaire had her killed. What happened with that? And how did Monroe come out of a a, a five year coma? And at any point in time, take over the streets when we literally have read every point in the history of the cartel from the moment where he died. When did that happen? Why are you doing this to your readers? Huh? Can you explain that? 916-633-1537. Wretched and Wretched at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Uh, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Leave a review on Podchaser. Uh, you can leave a review for this episode and for the show as a whole. Uh, leave a review on Apple Podcasts and leave a review on Good Pods. Um, I know that they exist, unlike Stitcher's review system. You can uh, become a Patreon at patreon.com slash single simulcast. Uh, you can uh, donate to the show at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast. And you can uh, also leave a tip uh, at our tip jar on Good Pods. That's an app. This It's bad because it doesn't make sense. And it's bad because it's maddening. I don't like plot holes. And this is like a deep, deep one. Period. Thank y'all so much for listening. I'm going to holler at you later. Y'all be good. The intro and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by that kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is single simulcast. Don't know my name, did you say?